from the book of Acts. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. I was just reminded, noticed something that sits on this pulpit every Sunday. It's a picture, maybe I'll bring it out at the end here, that a woman whom I uh, died a couple months ago that I gave last rites to, she's come to church here, and it's a picture that she took out of an airplane window. It's a negative, it's a slide of Jesus. It's astounding, I'll show it to you. Don't take it. (laughs) Here's here's what I want to look at today, an idea, um, and it's actually pretty obvious that nobody, nobody ever likes to say goodbye. In fact, I have somebody very close to me, my wife, who, uh, who never says goodbye, actually. She'll say, see you soon, or I can't wait to see you next week. You get the idea. But people, I don't care who you are, nobody really likes to say goodbye. And the reason is actually pretty simple. When we're, when we're parted from loved ones, right, friends or family or whomever, children go away to school, that kind of thing, it's hard. It's hard because I think deep down in our, in, the, in our core, in our guts, we think to ourselves, this might be the last time. This might be the last time I see that person. And in fact, that's actually not a bad way to live. That when you walk out of the house, and Kathy and I have done this for years, walk out of the house in the morning, the last thing we always say to each other, and my children too, for that matter, is, good, you know, see you soon, I love you. And that way you're never caught un- unprepared. If you're always ready, you're never caught unprepared. It's not a bad way to live to be ready to say goodbye, because it might be your last. But I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's a theological question, and actually, I never thought about this before until last week when I was putting this sermon together. What are actually Jesus' last words? How did Jesus say goodbye? Well, if you'd asked me before I did my sermon prep, I would have told you two weeks ago that his last words were, well, it's one word, telostomoi. It is finished, right, on the cross before he dies. Jesus says, it is finished, and he breathes his last. That's what I would have said was Jesus' last words, but they aren't. Jesus' last words, in fact, his final words on earth are the words he speaks today in Acts chapter 1. Luke says in verse 4 that he ordered the the apostles gathered together to, to go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that next week. And then he gives his final goodbye, his final words. Here it is. Acts 1, 8. But you, y'all, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And y'all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those are his last words before he departs and ascends back into heaven. In other words, be patient, I'll be right back. So I'm going to look at that today, this morning, on this Feast of the Ascension. Where did he go? Where did Jesus go when he ascended into heaven? And in fact, when will he be back? Where did he go? These are my two points. Where did he go, and when will he be back? Well, a little background here, uh, a little disclaimer. Honestly, today is not the Feast of the Ascension. The Feast of the Ascension was last Thursday. It's always 40 days after Easter. It's that, Luke says that Jesus walked and talked with people and proclaimed the kingdom of God for 40 days. Well, 40 days after Easter was last Thursday. However, I changed it, because I can, as director, and I moved the ascension, transferred it to today, so we can talk about it, so we can understand where exactly dared he go. 
You know, after the resurrection, Jesus walks around. He talks to people. The past six weeks, we've been looking at all this from Easter season. He, uh, he, he can do all, all kinds of things that we can't do, right? He, uh, he can eat, so he's physical, but he can also walk through walls, which I can't do. Neither can you. <laughs> and so he's got this, this uh, um, resurrected body, which I'll get to in a minute. He spends 40 days with his friends talking about the kingdom of God, and then there he goes. He ascends back into heaven. And that's my first point. Where did he go? Where did he go? You know, a minute ago, you noticed after the Gospels read, that candle, the Paschal candle, that big one right over there, is, uh, is extinguished. Because that Paschal candle, which, which symbolizes Jesus, the light of the world, is lit all Easter season. And then at the Feast of the Ascension, when the Gospels read, it is extinguished. And I always say a prayer to myself, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. So where did he go, actually? Well, for it to make any sense, you have to understand something absolutely critical. That this book, this Bible, is a great big circle. I mean, it's not a circle, it's a rectangle. But the, uh, this, the, uh, what, this, what this book says to you, it's, it's called Salvation History, is a great big circle. And I'll give it to you very briefly, and you'll, and you'll see my point. That if you look in Genesis chapter 2, the beginning of the book, where do we find ourselves? We see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden is a physical place somewhere in Iraq, of modern-day Iraq, we think. We don't know for sure, but the boundaries of it are laid out. The Tigris, Euphrates rivers, and another river called the Gishon, which we don't know what it is. But this book starts in the Garden of Eden, in heaven, which, by the way, heaven is a physical place. Read about it. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They can walk with, with God. They can talk to him like I'm talking to you. Heaven. The way we were, what we were designed for is a physical place. And then this book, the Bible, ends in the book of Revelation. And what do we see in the book of Revelation? We see a renewed Eden. My point is that the Bible starts off in heaven, goes all the way through in salvation history, and then comes back to itself, to heaven. Salvation history is the salvation that the Bible teaches us, that, that in the beginning God created all things, space and matter and time, and then he creates us, and he creates, pretty, he creates everything, and it's good, even Vietnamese pot-bellied pigs, I don't know. But God creates men and women to live with him in paradise until the fall. And this is the key. Adam and Eve reject God's plan. They are cast out of Eden, and they live in a fallen world, which is, listen, the very same world that you and I inhabit right now. And what's wrong with this fallen world? Well, it's not the one we're made for. for but in this fallen world, we have suffering and death and strokes and disease and all kinds of stuff, all the bad things that go on in this world. This is not the way, friends, God created us to live, according to Scripture. So we're in a jam, aren't we? We were created for Eden, but we're no longer there. And in fact, if you know your Bible again, the entire Old Testament is the story of God's people living in this jam. Even the best of them, even David, right? King David, woo, wrote all the Psalms, right? He was, a king of, he was the king of the Jews, one of you know, the earliest ones. He was the apple of God's eye. He was God's rock star. Yeah, but he was also an adulterer and a murderer, right? So even the, very, even the A-team in Scripture, even the very best, fail. So what does God do? Well, he leaves. This is really important, and then this ascension will make sense to you. God sees the mess we're in, 
And he says, I'm coming down. <laughs> I'm coming down there. And he leaves his throne in heaven, super important, and he comes to earth to save us from our sins, to be born as a king. That's Christmas, right? who take the sins of humanity, mine and yours, and to put them on himself to save you. It's all we call him, our Savior. And to start the process of undoing the curse of the fall. But the point I want you to see for today is that Jesus left his throne, listen, descended onto earth, and then he dies on the cross and is raised again. And we think about that, you know, just, just two weeks ago, May 6th, actually, we had the coronation of a new king in England, right? Charles III. If anybody watched the service, it was glorious. It was super cool. Made me proud to be an Anglican, especially when they put that, that uh, screen around him. But what they were doing is they were anointing him to be the next king. And this isn't just showbiz, right? This isn't just symbolism. They, these people mean it. That This man is now called to be the king of England, the secular head of the Church of England. They anointed him as king. He receives all these symbols of his earthly power. Yes, I know Charles has a past and a baggage, and I think we can all agree, a dysfunctional family. But, you know, honestly, if we're, if we're truthful about it, we all have a dysfunctional family. It's just that theirs is public, right? Oh, yeah, and sorry about Meghan Markle. <laughs> but, but you know something which is I want to point out here? He wouldn't be the, and I don't know how the Lord's going to use this, but he wouldn't be the first king in history to be, take the throne and be converted and actually take his role seriously. Constantine, emperor of Rome, comes to mind immediately. There have been people in the history who are put in positions of authority and have an awakening and a quickening of their faith in Jesus. But the one thing I want you to point out to you today is what do we say when Charles was made king? He was kinged, he was, he, was cor he was coronation, yes, but what do we say when he assumes that authority? We say he ascended the throne. See, Jesus is not, Jesus today is not ascending up into heaven like he's on, a, like on a, a tractor beam or something, right? That's the way the English reads, that he was ascended into the clouds. That's not true. The Greek will tell you that this throne he ascends to, these clouds are not natural clouds. It's the Greek word nephile. And as we see this, this cloud surrounds Jesus. He may have been a foot off the ground. And what we see, and we see it at the transfiguration also, is we see a hole punched, a wormhole between this world and the next, between physicality on this side and heaven on the other. The, the men of Galilee are looking into heaven. The angels say, you're, they're peering into heaven. My point is, Jesus did not float up into the sky and be surrounded by, you know, cirrus clouds. What happens, you see, is that a hole is punched, a wormhole, I don't know what you call it, but an idea is that we are now seeing, then, physically, Jesus on his throne of glory in this other dimension, this other wormhole between heaven and earth where he sits even now. And he says, don't move. Sit tight. I'll be right back. This is important to consider, that if Jesus really is on his throne in some other existential frame of reference, heaven, right? Heaven and earth are currently divided. They will be reunited when he returns. I'll get to that in a moment. But I think it's important to, to consider something that as Christians, we have to remember the long game. I talked about this last week a little bit. 
but even in our own lives, right? In our, the, own, the brokenness of our own lives, our families, our friends, our culture gets weirder and weirder as the temperature rises and the Christian worldview is under continued attack. Friends, remember, remember the long game. That Christ will return. When he returns, when he descends again from heaven to reestablish his kingdom on earth here, he will save the world. Revelation tells us that the devil knows this, and the devil knows that the time is short, which is why he is fighting so hard against what the church is trying to do. Satan knows he's working on borrowed time. And those who do his will become increasingly strident and unhinged. But as Christians... We know the long game. We know how this gig ends. We are called to stand firm. And the church stands for the long game because we know that when Jesus returns, he will restore the world and put the world to rights. The dead shall be resurrected with bodies like he had. Evil will be judged. Those who have forsaken Christ, he gives them what they want, which is eternity without him. And those who have followed him, he gives them what they want, which is heaven in a physical place with him. My point is, he's ascended into heaven, and the next, the next thing to happen, and frankly, the last thing to happen, is that he'll return to put all things to rights. He's been out by the mall lately on 60. There's a guy out there. He's not there every day. I'm not there every day either. But he's always got those signs, right? Repent. Have you ever seen him? He's right. Because we are living in the last chapter of salvation, salvation history. Nothing else happens. We wait for Jesus to return. He will save the day. So when's that going to be, Rodriguez? When will, this is my second point. When will Jesus return? Well, he will return, and when he will, he will save the day. Let's go back to the text. As the apostles are ga- gazing into heaven, angels proclaim to them, it's a rhetorical question, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you will come in the same way in which you saw him go. This is the thing that, this is the Christian hope that Christ will return at any moment. And when he does, the dead shall be raised. Evil will be judged. Heaven and hell established. Christ will save those who have called upon him and those who have rejected him. He gives them what they've asked for. But the point is, you see, that when Jesus comes back, he will literally save the day and put all things to rights. It will be the ascension in reverse. Where, to quote Revelation 7, every eye will see him, every knee will bow. And he will come to judge the living and the dead, to punish wickedness, to execute justice, and to set the world to rights. That's the next thing to happen, and it could happen at any moment. It could happen before it finished this sermon. The idea of the Christian life is all about this expectation, waiting for Christ to return. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. For crying out loud, it's getting pretty hot down here, right? Here's a question for you to think about today. Are you ready for his return? Do you yearn for it? I hope you do. Are you ready? Do you live your life with this expectation of Christ could return at any moment? Everything could be put to rights. Everything solved. All the problems of the world gotten rid of. Friends, are you ready? Let us take comfort. Let us take solace. Let us take courage that someday, maybe even today, maybe before I finish this sermon, Jesus will return with power and great glory and set the world to rights. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. It's our final hymn. I know it's an Advent hymn, but I really like it, and we're going to sing it. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, robed 
and royal majesty. He says, stay in Jerusalem, I'll be right back, and I'll finish the job. To punish evil, to restore us to heaven with God at the center, to bring us back to Eden. There's no pain, no suffering, no struggle, no death. And that's why we hope. That's what we yearn for, really hope for Christ's return. So friends, on this Feast of the Ascension, as Christ has gone, departed, let us be encouraged, let us be emboldened that Jesus reigns. Jesus ascended to his throne, but he's not done yet. And he's coming back to finish the job. Are you ready? Are you yearning for it? Do you hope for it? Let us pray. Jesus, your ascension marks for us the last event before you return to finish the job which you started, to reconcile all things to you and put the world to rights. We pray, Lord, that you would come quickly. In the meantime, give us courage and boldness and fearlessness to set our eyes on you. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.